Thanks for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. Our hope is that it helps you discover completeness in Jesus. Now for this week's teaching. While the women were on their way, some of the guards went into the city and reported to the chief priests everything that had happened. When the chief priests had met with the elders and devised a plan, they gave the soldiers a large sum of money, telling them, You are to say, His disciples came during the night and stole him away while we were asleep. If this report gets to the governor, we will satisfy him and keep you out of trouble. So the soldiers took the money and did as they were instructed. And this story has been widely circulated among the Jews to this very day. Then the eleven disciples went to Galilee, to the mountain where Jesus had told them to go. When they saw him, they worshipped him, but some doubted. Then Jesus came to them and said, All authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and of the Son and of the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. And surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. Matthew 28, 11-20 Good morning, church. Let's open our Bibles to uh, Matthew chapter 28. We'll begin in verse 16, if you want to make that ready in your Bibles. If you're visiting Christ Church, we're glad you're here. Uh, As I like to say, just to encourage you and to encourage us, we're A, really grateful you worship Jesus, and B, that we're really encouraged that you worship him with us today, and we hope we can encourage you in the same way. And so we are in the end of a series, if you're joining us for the first time, we're at the end of a series of 16 weeks where we've been looking at the Gospel of Matthew, the first book in your New Testament. And we've been focusing on the passages that talk about him as king and those passages that talk about his kingdom. And we focus primarily on those because Matthew makes a statement in his gospel significant to that theme of the kingdom of God and who the king is. And so you're with us as we conclude this. I really love what Matthew does because in Matthew chapter 28, as he ends the story of Jesus' earthly ministry, he focuses on what we focused on on Easter Sunday, that the resurrection means more than that you get to live forever. The resurrection shows us who we get to live with. Every single person will live forever, either with Jesus or without Jesus. One is called heaven and one is called hell. And Matthew, if all Matthew wanted to do was highlight that Jesus was king, he would have ended his story of Jesus at the resurrection, but he doesn't. He's told us about his birth. He's told us about his miracles. He's told us that he's raised others from the dead and raised himself from the dead. And if he just wanted to establish that he was king, he would have dropped the mic right there and that's where it would have ended. He's alive, but he doesn't, does he? He extends it because this story is more than that we have a king. The story is that he's still building a kingdom, not because he failed, but he's offering an invitation for all who want to follow him. Matthew continues the story. One of my favorite parts is you heard the reading of the text for today in verses 11 through 15 that the uh, religious leaders who had Jesus killed realized that they had a problem now because he wasn't there. So they paid the Roman soldiers to lie. And Matthew is very, I think it's very funny what he does. Matthew says, and while they were working on their conspiracy, Jesus was meeting with the disciples. While they were trying to disprove the resurrection, Jesus was living out the resurrected existence. Pretty powerful moment in time where Jesus is showing who he is. 
Look with me at verse 17. The angels in Jesus had told the women at the tomb, go tell the disciples to meet me in Galilee like I told them. Verse 17 says, when they saw Jesus, they worshiped him, but some doubted. Now this is not the first time they've seen Jesus. He's appeared in the upper room. He's appeared to over uh, 500 different people over this period of time. But they see Jesus and there's something significant that Matthew, who's one of them, noted. We worshiped him, but some doubted. Doubting, how can you doubt at this point? Dead and alive, that's not enough. The miracles, that's not enough. The fulfilled prophecies, that's not enough. Well, they're not doubting Jesus. They can see him physically, they've touched him. They've touched the holes in his hands. They've seen the hole in his side. They know he's physically there. They're not doubting the reality. The word doubt that's used here is significantly used elsewhere. In Matthew chapter 14, when Jesus is walking on the water, it says that Peter, seeing him walking on the water, says, can I walk on the water? And Jesus said, walk. Peter gets out of the boat and he begins to walk. And it said, then he looked at the waves and he began to sink. Jesus picked him up out of the waves and put him back in the boat. And he said to him, why did you doubt? You think for a moment, Peter didn't think that was Jesus walking on the water? Of course he thought it was him. That's why he said, can I join you? What did he doubt? He doubted himself. He doubted his own ability. He doubted that he could do what Jesus was doing. Does it make more sense now when the disciples saw the resurrected Jesus that their first thought was, I know he's faithful. I don't know if I can be. These are the same men who in the upper room when Jesus said, one of you will betray me, all 12 of them looked at Jesus and said, me? They knew they were able. They knew they were capable. So when they doubted, what they doubted was the power of the resurrection, that they could handle it, that they could live in it. And Jesus gives them words. You see, I want you to understand today, if you're a follower of Jesus, this sermon is gonna fit in two ways. If you're a follower of Jesus, I want you to see clearly that what Jesus says at the end of Matthew is an expectation on every one of us, not some of us. And it's not an expectation occasionally. It's his expectation for us. And if you're not a follower of Jesus, and I'm assuming by being in a church on a Sunday, you're interested. And we're grateful you're here. You're welcome here. We want to show you the opportunity. For the disciples, there's an expectation. For the unbeliever, there's an opportunity. And we hope that all of us will fit ourselves in to what Matthew shows us about Jesus at the conclusion. So I'm going to give you three simple realities that come from these final 16, 17, 18, 19, and 20th verses of the last chapter of Matthew. The first is this. Followers of Jesus must acknowledge the authority of Jesus. That the followers of Jesus must acknowledge the authority of Jesus. Look at verse 18. Jesus said to those that were just worshiping him and were questioning, all authority in heaven and on earth has been given to me. Jesus does not start with a command. Jesus starts with a claim. Jesus makes a statement. Because of the resurrection, he said, all authority in heaven and on earth is mine. And he had demonstrated that. You see, he had proven he was king. Now he's going to show what his kingdom will be about. Think about the authority that Jesus showed in his lifetime. He fulfilled the prophecies. All right, He was from the line of Abraham and the line of David. God told King David, one of your children would sit on the throne for eternity. They misunderstood what that meant until Jesus arrived. And they're like, oh. So he was from the line of David. Think about the, the different ways that Jesus declared who he was by what he did. He showed authority over uh, nature. He calmed the waters in the midst of a storm. Sound asleep in a boat. He awakens. The Bible says he calmed the storm immediately. 
Do you notice that nature doesn't argue with Jesus when he tells it what to do? You look at his, his uh, authority over the spirit world. He comes in the presence of any demon-possessed person or any demon itself. And what does your New Testament teach you? They call his name out as son of God. They know who he is. And when he tells them to be quiet, they instantly become quiet. When he casts them out, they instantly leave. They do not argue. They do not bicker. They obey. When you look at his authority over disease, blindness, gone. Deafness, gone. Muteness, gone. Paralysis, gone. Disease and illness don't argue with Jesus' authority. They obey. When you look at sin, his blood freed empty or freed tombs and people were resurrected on the day his sacrifice was complete. An earthquake and the tombs emptied. He overcame what sin had done to humanity and then he walked out of the tomb by the power and death did not argue, death submitted. So when you think of the authority that Jesus has demonstrated in the book of Matthew and the other uh, texts in Mark, Luke, and John, you'll understand this. The only part of creation that wants to argue with the authority of Jesus is us. Humanity made in the image of God is the only group in all of creation that has a problem with his authority because he has shown who he is by what he did. Notice that when Jesus exercised his authority, that it's an authority that comes with great power. Daniel, in the Old Testament, Daniel had a vision. God had punished the people of Israel and Judah, the two distinct tribes of 10 and two. He'd sent them both into punishment because they had rebelled and not kept his words. They had not honored their covenant. So they were sent into a period of punishment. And when Daniel was one that was taken and he was having a vision that God gave him, this is what it says in Daniel seven. In my vision at night, I looked and there was before me one like the son of man coming with the clouds of heaven. He approached the ancient of days and was led into his presence. He was given authority, glory, and sovereign power. All nations and people of every language worshiped him. His dominion is an everlasting dominion that will not pass away, and his kingdom is one that will never be destroyed. This is Jesus. You see, through the, through the death, burial, and resurrection of Jesus, both sin and death were defeated. The Son of Man did the work that we needed him to do. And because of this, Daniel said, one will come and he will do the work and it will bring with it authority and power and glory and majesty and he will sit in his rightful place. You see, in, in the church, we talk so much about his life, his death, his burial, his resurrection, and we miss one of the key pillars of his authority, that he ascended to the Father and sat down at the right hand of God. And that right hand, according to scripture, is the place of authority. God said, you sit here. You will now judge all nations because of who you are and what you have done. Daniel saw it before it happened. That God would say to Jesus, you have proven yourself. Sit here at my right hand. The place of the Messiah. The place of all authority and power. He was seated above all things. The authority of Jesus must be understood because to not understand it is to not honor it. And so in this moment, I, I want to be careful. I, I, I'm not, I've not traveled the entire world, so I don't want to speak too broadly, but my experiences going to many places in this world, I've realized there's something unique about the American church versus what I have seen in the international churches. When you go to places like India and Africa and Japan, when people rightfully understand who Jesus is, they don't separate him into two different roles. They don't separate him into Savior and Lord. They honor him as Lord. And within his authority comes their salvation. 
when I hear American churches talk, and people like me and people like you, and when I hear conversations in our community, there's no problem with Americans saying, Jesus is my Savior, but then they don't allow him to be their Lord. You can't separate Jesus into what he does for you against what he is. So I hope this isn't too snarky, but if we're going to talk about the authority of Jesus, let's understand this truth. You don't make Jesus Lord, he is. There's no debate whether we get to vote him in. He has proven he is worthy, amen? See, we bow to his authority, not because he has it. We bow because he's worthy. Jesus is Lord of all, regardless of what I personally decide. I wanna be very careful. The resurrection requires that Jesus be considered honestly and sincerely for who he claims to be. He's not just a savior. He's the Lord of all. Creation bows to him. The demonic world bows to him. Disease, sickness, death, and life all bow to him. It's time his people did too. He's not just a personal savior. He's the Lord of all. Don't be lulled to sleep by a convenient Christianity that says, I've got my salvation, that's all I need. No, you need a Lord who's good and kind and leads you well. All of us do. Followers of Jesus must also receive Jesus' empowerment to make disciples. He's made his claim. Now he's given us a commission. He sends us out. I'm pretty sure if I want to take the word commission and use it practically, I'm pretty sure if you're in the armed services in any one of the branches, you don't get to tell your superior officer if you'll accept a commission. I'm seeing some veterans go, nope. You do what you're told, right? Yet we have a king of kings and lord of lords who asks us and sends us out with our own will to serve and honor him, and he empowers us. Look at verse 19. Therefore, go and make disciples of all nations. The Matthew is showing us he's not only king, but he's building a kingdom, a kingdom where his authority and his glory are known and understood, and not only known and understood, but his authority then sends us out with power. He's given us a purpose that outlasts all of us, and it's not a punishment. Worship is the result of knowing who Jesus is. And if we are not worshiping Jesus, we have forgotten or never knew. To know who he is and to know what he has done and what he will do can only produce worship for those who sincerely and honestly consider it. You see, we go make disciples not just because he asked us. We obey because he's worthy. We don't just go because we have to. We go because he's worth it. When we share the message of love, it's not a ball and chain. I sometimes talk to Christians and anytime a preacher stands on stage and says, we need to be, you know, the E word we don't like to talk about in church. We can talk about tithing quicker than evangelism, right? Because evangelism, you're like, oh man, I don't know. I don't, want, I don't really want to do that because we've, we sometimes don't believe in our hearts that what Jesus is offering the world is actually something they would need. Like he's irrelevant, like he's a ball and chain that's gonna make life harder and more difficult instead of freeing us up to live. Like it's a set of rules instead of an abundant life. Jesus didn't say, go out and perform for me. He said, go out in my love and love others because can you agree with me this morning that what the world does need now is love, sweet love. Not the emotional, sappy, Hallmark movie of the night stuff, but a real love that says you're known and you're valued and you're loved. 
I know a world that's dark and dying with no hope. And the answer is not religion and rules and a ball and chain to restrict your pleasure. It's freedom and life and forgiving love. The requests of Jesus are our joy, not our punishment. So he says to his disciples on that hillside, you see me alive by the power of the resurrection. Go into all the world and offer them what I've offered you. And they do. So I have to stop for a moment and share some things. Maybe cast a little vision, if you will. You may ask yourself, what is the purpose of the church? And let me share you some of the purposes of this. If a life of worship is the life of the church, it's not worship services. Think about what we can do to make disciples throughout the world. Why would a church like us give hundreds of thousands of dollars a year to church planting? Because we wanna be known? Absolutely not. Nobody knows where Orinogo is that live here. Why in the world would we think across the globe people would care about Orinogo? I think God planted us in the perfect spot, irrelevant city. But we make a difference. You know why? We're planting churches in India and Japan, two of the largest unreached people groups in the world. We're planting churches in the United States in partnership in places like Albuquerque and South Joplin and other places that we have connections. We are committed across the globe to help churches. Why? Because people need to go to church? No, people need Jesus. We can complain, there's too many churches. No, there's not, as long as there are unsaved people. You have to understand, there were some people that would never come to a church our size. And there are people that would be more comfortable in intimate environments. There's nothing wrong with that. We don't have to create one simple model, one franchise that everybody buys into. No, we are communities of believers reaching to unsaved people with the hope of Jesus. Why do we care about justice in this world? Why are we investing in foster care and adoption ministries and the poor and watered garden and we heard about it a week or so ago. Why are we investing in those things so we feel good about ourselves? No, so that people can see Jesus. This is what we're after. That we can have this moment where people understand who he is. Why do we care about the youth so much? Why do we spend so much money on everywhere from babies all the way to high school kids? Because we know that if a young person's heart can be grasped in their formative years with the truth of the gospel, they will find hope in their lives. And when they get past a certain age, they will abandon it for what the world has lied to them about. This is not how good we are. This is what we're asked to do. And God has empowered us. And by your generosity, we want to invest more. The more you allow this ministry to grow and you invest yourself and together, we might make a difference in the world. People need to know how good Jesus is. It's not a punishment to give him Jesus. It's not a punishment to reveal him. It is a blessing to worship him. But our world questions the value of the church, doesn't it? I mean, let's be honest, it does. The church historically doesn't have a perfect track record. The church in our, in our day today, go on Netflix. I can get you three miniseries that will break your heart what's going on in churches across the globe. The ones that everyone looks up to. It's a very dangerous game to get all that attention and make it about us. You see, the world is asking questions. We're gonna begin a series next week for five weeks that's gonna answer the cultural questions that are coming toward the church today. And here's why we're gonna do it. Because we wanna be slick and fancy? No, because we are unashamed of the gospel message of Jesus in spite of the brokenness of the church. We believe the gospel matters. So we're gonna answer questions. The series is gonna be entitled, What About? Honest Answers to Kingdom Questions. We're gonna answer these questions. What about people who can't believe in a God who would send people to hell? What about those who have never heard the good news of Jesus? 
What about those who believe that all truth is equal and none is superior? What about those who have been hurt by the church? And what about those who are not prepared for the second coming of Jesus? What happens to them? You see, those are questions being asked out there in the coffee shops and workplaces. It's the reason some people won't come to church and worship Jesus, because for some reason, Christianity has decided we'll just insulate, and anybody who asks us a hard question will just turn away. No, we won't. We will turn toward them. We are unashamed of the gospel of Jesus Christ. We have an answer. And it's not come to church. It's to come to know Jesus, to receive him as Lord and Savior, to free ourselves in him. We want to be a place here that if the purpose of Jesus for the church is fulfilled when the world knows of his sacrifice for them and his love for them and his redeeming lordship over them, let's be about that. Let's be a church where hard things are said because hard things need to be said that always point to the goodness of Jesus. My buddy Steve Higgs, uh, I've known him since fourth grade. Steve was, he was like nine foot tall in fourth grade. He's one of the biggest mammals I've ever met in my life. But in fourth grade, I picked Steve because I knew he was thinking brilliant. And what I love about Steve Higgs is his heart. It's as big as he is. But Steve's heart was he could memorize scripture. And I knew as a, as a camp counselor that if your team got the memory verse right, you got to eat lunch first. So I always picked Steve. <laughs> now, Steve's a grown adult and preaching well in Decatur, Illinois. And we were at a retreat last, a bunch of preachers were at a retreat last summer that we do annually. And Steve said these words that resounded through the room. He said, you know, during COVID time, he said these words. He said, I would have thought the resurrection of Jesus would have made more, more of a difference because of the way the church fought and bickered and politicized everything. And that has stayed in my heart ever since. We preach the resurrection of Jesus not so that we can live forever. We preach the resurrection of Jesus so we can live with him forever. If Matthew is true, if the last 16 weeks are real, if he died on the cross for the forgiveness of all sins, if he rose from the grave in victory over sin and death, and if he reigns as Lord over those who give themselves to Jesus by faith, then I believe that belief in Jesus will rescue anyone, anywhere, at any time, unashamed of the power of the gospel to meet the needs of every single person. That's why Peter said these famous words, that you, the church, may proclaim the excellencies of him who called you out of darkness into marvelous light. It is not just the organization's responsibility to, to brag, to point out, to highlight the goodness of Jesus. It's every single saved person's responsibility. We are to acknowledge his authority. We're to go in the power and authority which he gives us. And lastly, followers of Jesus must trust the way in which King Jesus brings life. We must do it his way. We must trust that his way is the right way. Verse 19 and 20. Therefore, if these things are true, therefore go and make disciples of all nations, baptizing them in the name of the Father and the Son and the Holy Spirit, and teaching them to obey everything I have commanded you. We have to trust the way of Jesus. Not, not the way we fix it. God has not become old-timey. He hasn't forgot what works. He didn't try it for 2,000 years and go, well, that didn't work, you... Can you guys help me? No, he doesn't need our help. He needs our faith. He needs our commitment. The call to kingdom building should not be seen as punitive. 
It should not seem as a punishment to us. Like he's taken our favorite toy from us and said, when you start acting right, you get this back. No, Jesus did not give us a task that won't work. He gave us a power that will change the world. We're to give our life away for the kingdom of God in the same way that he gave his life away for us. We follow Jesus and the way he lived. So the truth of it is simply this. Uh, we, we need to get in on something. Uh, we need to understand it's gonna cost us very much. It's gonna be sometimes very hard and it will always be very worth it. See, the purpose of the church, I think, could be misunderstood. Even, and, and sometimes if I promoted it, I repent. The goal of the church is not to get all of them out there to come into here. The goal of the church is not to get people to listen to me or Michael or Drake or Elijah preach. The goal of the church is to get us out there. It's to take what we praise in here on Sunday and resound that Monday through Saturday. It's to be unashamed of the gospel and not be the annoying, placard-carrying, yelling at cars on the corner kind of people. Can we all say amen to that? You have enough people in your world that you care about who don't know that Jesus cares about them. If you just started there, you'd have enough to do. It's not to get them in here. Bringing them in here before we've gone out there is backwards. We don't want people to fall in love with the church. We want them to know the love of Jesus. And then the church becomes a family of believers that strengthens you see, we gather and we pray together and we learn how to pray together. We study scriptures so we can learn the scriptures. We are in community caring and loving for one another. Not so that we feel better about ourselves. We do these things so that they know Jesus and we know Jesus better. It's the purpose of the church to make disciples of those that are saved and to make disciples of those who are not. May we never underestimate what God could do through us if we trusted him. Verse 20, and surely I am with you always to the very end of the age. There's an amazing thing happened here. Jesus made a claim, I have all authority. He asked us, he gave us a commission. He said, go into all the world and introduce me to people and make disciples of them like I made disciples of you. And then lastly, he gives a promise and you're not on your own. I'm gonna go with you. Jesus doesn't give us an assignment we're destined to fail in. He says, no, my presence will be with you. And anyone who's ever shared their faith with somebody else can probably deep down in their heart realize how easily the words came to mind when you were scared you wouldn't know what to say. But Mark, I'm not trained like you. I, I wouldn't know how to answer their questions. Do you know somebody who could? Well, now you're buying two cups of coffee instead of one. You can handle that. Bring someone to the table with you. Begin the conversation. Learn what it is to share faith. It is okay to admit you have followed Jesus for a number of years and never shared your faith. What's wrong is to say, I have followed Jesus for years and I will never share my faith. His authority has called us. We proclaim his name, not because we fear punishment, but because he is worthy and he is with us. This is his plan. Knowing this will not be easy, knowing this will be costly, but knowing this will be worth it. Let's be a part of something that lasts, outlasts us. Let's be a part of something that's good for everybody. Let's be willing to talk about the goodness of our God, not the rules and regulations, but the freedom and the life. So for those of us that are following Jesus, we know what he expects, don't we? And we know that he's worthy, don't we? 
But there are some in the room today, I told you that there's an opportunity for you. When people in the, in the Bible became aware of who Jesus was and what he was offering them, the most common response was, what must I do to be saved by this man? And the Bible, if you take it in its completeness, it says this, you are to believe that Jesus is who he says he is, that he is king. And that you need to acknowledge that before others, that he's not just my savior, he's the Lord and authority of my life. And repent of the thoughts and the actions of our lives that take the authority of Jesus and dismiss it as optional. And then there's a beautiful moment of this profession of faith and this confession of sin is to be baptized into Jesus. On the opening day of the church, on the day of Pentecost, Peter was asked a question. He said, repent and be baptized, all of you, for the forgiveness of your sins that you might receive the presence of the Holy Spirit. So what is baptism? It's the washing away in water. It's symbolically being laid back in water and cleansed of your sins. And Paul says in Romans 6, it's entering into the death and burial of Jesus and rising out of the waters, washed clean into resurrected life that you may walk in newness of life. Some of you have never taken that next step. You have professed faith in Jesus. You believe him to be Lord of all. You have maybe even confessed your sins. But the wedding ceremony, the marriage ceremony between us and Jesus is so beautifully seen in baptism that we believe here that this is a part of your journey. It's your next step. And this morning, we're gonna celebrate as there are several that have already chosen for our conversations the last two weeks. But there may be some here today. You don't have to be baptized today to prove to me you love Jesus. But you may need to be baptized today to prove to him that you're willing to accept his authority in your life but preacher, I showed up. I got khakis on and a golf shirt. We can fix that. We have gym shorts and t-shirts. There is, there is no reason today if God has laid it on your heart to respond to him. But I'll also say this to the rest of you. If you want to begin a conversation to know what you need to do, if you have questions that can't be answered by me talking at you, begin the journey today. We're going to sing several songs and there's going to be some baptisms and I need to get off of here so the real work can happen. But understand this, baptism is not something we do. Baptism is something God does for us. Cleansing and renewing and filling in his presence. As we sing these next few songs, feel free to go to this table. All morning long, you go to those tables. We have people ready to walk with you and help answer your questions. And we are gonna celebrate the fact that God has given us a great thing to do and he's given us a great opportunity to offer and today we offer entrance into the kingdom of heaven by trusting the authority of the one who opened the doors. Let's stand together. Thanks again for checking out this podcast from Christ Church of Ornogo. We hope that this teaching is helping you discover completeness in Jesus and encourages you to help others do the same. If you're interested in learning more about Christ Church, visit us online at cco.church.